0: Section 29 of Celebrated Crimes, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Miriam Esther Goldman. Celebrated Crimes, Volume 1, by Alexander Dumas. Translated by G. B. Ives. Section 29. The Chenchi, Part 1. The Chenchi 1598 By Alexandre Dumas, Père Should you ever go to Rome and visit the Villa Pamphili, no doubt, after having sought under its tall pines and along its canal the shade and freshness so rare in the capital of the Christian world, you will descend towards the Gianiculum Hill by a charming road, in the middle of which you will find the Pauline Fountain. Having passed this monument, and having lingered a moment on the terrace of the church of St. Peter Montorio, which commands the whole of Rome, you will find the cloister of Bramante, in the middle of which, sunk a few feet below the level, is built on the identical place where St. Peter was crucified, a little temple, half Greek, half Christian. You will thence ascend by a side door into the church itself there the attentive ciceroni will show you in the first chapel to the right the christ scourged by sebastian del piombo and in the third chapel to the left an entombment by fiamingo having examined these two masterpieces at leisure he will take you to each end of the transverse cross and will show you on one side a picture by salviati on slate and on the other a work by vasari then pointing out in melancholy tones a copy of guido's martyrdom of saint peter on the high altar he will relate to you how for three centuries the divine raphael's transfiguration was worshipped in that spot how it was carried away by the french in 1809 and restored to the pope by the allies in eighteen fourteen as you have already in all probability admired this masterpiece in the vatican allow him to expatiate and search at the foot of the altar for a mortuary slab which you will identify by a cross and a single word orate under this gravestone is buried beatrice cenci whose tragical story cannot but impress you profoundly she was the daughter of francesco cenci whether or not it be true that men are born in harmony with their epoch And that some embody its good qualities and others its bad ones it may nevertheless interest our readers to cast a rapid glance over the period which had just passed when the events which we are about to relate took place francesco cenci will then appear to them as the diabolical incarnation of his time on the eleventh of august 1492 after the lingering death agony of innocent the eighth during which two hundred and twenty murders were committed in the streets of rome alexander the sixth ascended to the pontifical throne son of a sister of pope calixtus the third rodrigo Lenzwoley borgia before being created cardinal had five children by rosa Venozza, whom he afterwards caused to be married to a rich roman these children were francis duke of gandia caesar bishop and cardinal afterwards duke of valentinois lucrezia who was married four times her first husband was giovanni sforza lord of pesaro whom she left owing to his impotence the second alfonso duke of basilia whom her brother caesar caused to be assassinated the third alfonso d'este duke of ferrara from whom a second divorce separated her Finally, the fourth, Alfonso of Aragon, who was stabbed to death on the steps of the Basilica of St. Peter, and afterwards, three weeks later, strangled, because he did not die soon enough from his wounds, which nevertheless were mortal. Joffre, Count of Squilace, of whom little is known, and finally a youngest son, of whom nothing at all is known. The most famous of these three brothers was Caesar Borgia. He had made every arrangement a plotter could make to be king of Italy at the death of his father the Pope, and his measures were so carefully taken as to leave no doubt in his own mind as to the success of this vast project. Every chance was provided against except one, but Satan himself could hardly have foreseen this particular one. The reader will judge for himself. The Pope had invited Cardinal Adrian to supper in his vineyard on the Belvedere. Cardinal Adrian was very rich, and the Pope wished to inherit his wealth, as he already had acquired that of the Cardinals of Sant'Angelo, Capua, and Modena. To effect this, Caesar Borgia sent two bottles of poisoned wine to his father's cup without taking him into his confidence he only instructed him not to serve this wine till he himself gave orders to do so unfortunately during supper the cup bearer left his post for a moment and in this interval the careless butler served the poisoned wine to the pope to caesar borgia and to cardinal cornetto alexander the sixth died some hours afterwards caesar borgia was confined to bed and sloughed off his skin while cardinal cornetto lost his sight and his senses and was brought to death's door Pius the third succeeded alexander the sixth and reigned twenty-five days on the twenty-sixth he was poisoned also caesar borgia had under his control eighteen spanish cardinals who owed to them their places in the sacred college these cardinals were entirely his creatures and he could command them absolutely as he was in a moribund condition and could make no use of them for himself he sold them to giuliano della rovere and giuliano della rovere was elected pope under the name of julius the second to the rome of nero succeeded the athens of pericles leo x succeeded julius the second and under his pontificate christianity assumed a pagan character which passing from art into manners gives to this epoch a strange complexion crimes for the moment disappeared to give place to vices but to charming vices vices in good taste such as those indulged in by alcibiades and sung by Catullus. leo x died after having assembled under his reign which lasted eight years eight months and nineteen days michelangelo raphael leonardo da vinci Correggio, titian andrea del sarto fra bartolomeo giulio romano ariosto Giuciardini, and machiavelli giulio di medici and pompeo Colonna were again rival candidates intrigues recommenced and the conclave was once more so divided that at one time the cardinals thought they could only escape the difficulty in which they were placed by doing what they had done before And electing a third competitor. They were even talking about Cardinal Orsini when Giulio de' Medici, one of the rival candidates, hit upon a very ingenious expedient. He wanted only five votes. Five of his partisans each offered to bet five of Colonna's a hundred thousand ducats to ten thousand against the election of Giulio de' Medici. At the very first ballot after the wager, Giulio de' Medici got the five votes he wanted. No objection could be made. The cardinals had not been bribed. They had made a bet, that was all. Thus it happened. On the 18th of November, 1523, Giulio de' Medici was proclaimed Pope under the name of Clement the Seventh. That same day he generously paid the 500,000 ducats which his five partisans had lost. It was under this pontificate— and during the seven months in which rome conquered by the lutheran soldiers of the constable of bourbon saw holy things subjected to the most frightful profanations that francesco cenci was born he was the son of monsignor niccolo cenci afterwards an apostolic treasurer during the pontificate of Pius v under this venerable prelate who occupied himself much more with the spiritual than the temporal administration of his kingdom niccolo cenci took advantage of his spiritual head's abstraction of worldly matters to amass a net revenue of a hundred and sixty thousand piastres about thirty two thousand pounds of our money francesco cenci who was his only son inherited this fortune His youth was spent under popes so occupied with the schism of Luther that they had no time to think of anything else. The result was that Francesco Cenci, inheriting vicious instincts and master of an immense fortune which enabled him to purchase immunity, abandoned himself to all the evil passions of his fiery and passionate temperament. Five times during his profligate career, imprisoned for abominable crimes, he only succeeded in procuring his liberation by the payment of two hundred thousand piastres, or about one million francs. It should be explained that popes at this time were in great need of money. The lawless profligacy of Francesco Cenci first began seriously to attract public attention under the pontificate of Gregory the Thirteenth. This reign offered marvellous facilities for the development of a reputation such as that which this reckless Italian Don Juan seemed bent on acquiring. Under the Bolognese Boncampo, a free hand was given to those able to pay both assassins and judges. Rape and murder were so common that public justice scarcely troubled itself with these trifling things if nobody appeared to prosecute the guilty parties the good gregory had his reward for his easy-going indulgence he was spared to rejoice over the massacre of saint bartholomew francesco cenci was at the time of which we are speaking a man of forty-four forty-five years of age about five feet four inches in height symmetrically proportioned and very strong although rather thin his hair was streaked with gray His eyes were large and expressive, although the upper eyelids drooped somewhat. His nose was long, his lips were thin, and wore habitually a pleasant smile, except when his eye perceived an enemy. At this moment his features assumed a terrible expression, and on such occasions, and whenever moved or even slightly irritated, he was seized with a fit of nervous trembling, which lasted long after the cause which provoked it had passed. An adept in all manly exercises, and especially in horsemanship, he sometimes used to ride without stopping from Rome to Naples, a distance of forty one leagues, passing through the forests of San Germano and the Pontine marshes heedless of brigands, although he might be alone and unarmed save for his sword and dagger. When his horse fell from fatigue, he bought another; were the owner unwilling to sell, he took it by force; if resistance were made, he struck, and always with the point, never the hilt. In most cases, being well known throughout the papal states as a free-handed person, nobody tried to thwart him, some yielding through fear, others from motives of interest. Impious, sacrilegious, and atheistical, he never entered a church except to profane its sanctity. It was said of him that he had a morbid appetite for novelties in crime, and that there was no outrage he would not commit if he hoped by so doing to enjoy a new sensation. At the age of about forty-five he had married a very rich woman, whose name is not mentioned by any chronicler. She died, leaving him seven children, five boys and two girls. He then married Lucrezia Petroni, a perfect beauty of the Roman type, except for the ivory pallor of her complexion. By this second marriage he had no children. As if Francesco Cenci were void of all natural affection, he hated his children, and was at no pains to conceal his feelings towards them. On one occasion, when he was building in the courtyard of his magnificent palace near the Tiber a chapel dedicated to St. Thomas, he remarked to the architect, when instructing him to design a family vault, "'That is where I hope to bury them all.' the architect often subsequently admitted that he was so terrified by the fiendish laugh which accompanied these words that had not francesco cenci's work been extremely profitable he would have refused to go on with it as soon as his three eldest boys giacomo cristoforo and rocco were out of their tutor's hands in order to get rid of them he sent them to the university of salamanca where out of sight they were out of mind for he thought no more about them, and did not even send them the means of subsistence in these straits, after struggling for some months against their wretched plight, the lads were obliged to leave Salamanca and beg their way home, tramping barefoot through France and Italy till they made their way back to Rome, where they found their father harsher and more unkind than ever End of section twenty nine recording by Miriam Esther Goldman.